Welcome to another episode of Finding Myself Through Obesity. Today I'm going to finally share this podcast interview that I did with my mentor, Angel. We had such a beautiful conversation, and even though it's a little bit old, I wanted to share it with you anyways. So this is my first podcast interview. I'm so excited about it, but I'm also kind of nervous, which is weird because, I mean, there's nothing to be nervous about, right? No. Just fun. (laughs) So nervous is is the same energy as excitement. It just is Mm. what word we put on it. So it's the same frequency. So we're excited about this, right? Yes, we're excited about this. Maybe do a little introduction. I know you say you're a soul mentor, mm-hmm. a life coach, and I love how you say you're a non-therapist. When I originally went to college, right out of high school, I went into business management, and I did two years at what was Dixie College back then. I was really wanting to be an entrepreneur. Then I served an LDS mission in Spain, and while I was a missionary, I became very aware and concerned that so many missionaries were depressed. So this was back in 1998. And the reason it came to my awareness was as a new missionary, I started to notice that the sister missionaries were all had prescription bottles. Like when we would get together, we had a zone conference for a meeting, like all of these girls had prescriptions. So I happened to ask my companion, like, what are all these, you know, why is everyone popping pills before (laughs) zone conference? I didn't know. And I couldn't understand what they were saying in Spanish very well at the time. Long story short, they were on Prozac and I really had never been around antidepressants. Where did they get them? I was asking questions, asking questions, had heard that a mission doctor had come through and he was treating missionaries for everything from ingrown toenails to depression and giving out Prozac. Well, he, I asked what kind of doctor he was, and he was an ophthalmologist, which is an eye surgeon. So it just struck me, like, what is going on in this world? What is going on in this mission? What is going on in this world? And I began to seek to talk to those missionaries about the depression. And what I discovered was that their expectations for their mission were not being met. So what they had been hyped to believe you know, we grew up watching this called to serve video that shows smiling missionaries, you know, in pressed clothes, clean, going out and serving. That's not what people were finding in Spain. It was not uncommon for a missionary to serve an entire two years and not ever experience a baptism. So I just kept talking to missionaries and talking to missionaries and searching the scriptures about depression. And then when it hit me that my future was being mapped out was when missionaries started calling me and asking if they could talk to me not just at meetings when we ran into each other but over the phone and I didn't know them I'd say excuse me elder who are you have we met no but the mission president said I should call you and I remember president had never said anything to me and he was referring people to me so I messaged him and was like what is going on and he goes well when missionaries come in and talk to me they just tell me that they've been talking to you about their depression and they feel better so I was referring people. So that's how things shifted for me. And I came home off my mission rather than pursuing a bachelor's in business. I went to BYU Hawaii and I studied social work. And then it led me to BYU Provo where I received a master's in clinical social work. So in preparation, it's for becoming a therapist. And I jumped out of that degree into the field and into my internships and then hit kind of a roadblock. So I ran into some ethical dilemmas where I felt like I could not in good conscience or good faith operate in that role as a therapist when I knew or felt there was more to healing from a holistic perspective 
the mind, body, heart, and spirit as one interactive um, being or entity. And where I worked and the experiences I was having were highly medical models. So it was like, oh, I had to diagnose you. As a therapist, I had to give you a label from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, known as the DSM. And then that would lead people to seeing their doctor or psychiatrist to get meds. And, you know, not always, but I, I want to stay. And there's more to the story. I had lots of ethical dilemmas. And I pulled out. I just pulled out and went on a quest. And on, during that 14 years hiatus, I had my own five sons in eight years. And they became my clients. It was through them that I noticed that nutrition and movement physical activity had more impact on mental health than anything I had seen or studied in the medical field, in drugs, in prescriptions. Those are all fine when needed. I'm not anti, but I found that in the world of nutrition and fitness and meditation, which I resisted for years, more than a decade, I thought it was woo woo, hippy dippy, baloney yoga stuff. Um, but slowly over time, I started to see that there are elements here that are physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual that can raise your vibration, enhance your mood, help you to overcome the things that plague us mentally. So I shifted into that realm and operate as a life coach under that umbrella so that I am not legally bound to operate under the restrictions that I felt as a licensed therapist. And I can be wholeheartedly transparent with people and let them know when I'm feeling impressed by the spirit or by God to share something and not have that be, you know, an ethical, does that make book. sense? The rule oh, yeah. book from the rule totally. book. So in, in working that way over the last three years, also life coach just didn't resonate. It's the tip. It's the umbrella that I call myself. But as I ask, who am I? There are so many life coaches out there and I see them online and I hear them talk and I watch their webinars and I, I just didn't feel like it. When I asked myself the question, who am I? The word soul mentor just came because my approach is to guide people to an awareness of their soul, which is their spirit body, their higher self, true self, unstoried self, the non-ego self, your energy body, however you want to come at it, because it's not a religious term. It is a spiritual term and it's a scientific term. So either perspective. Um, I, I seek to connect people to their own souls so that they can source the answers and wisdom from within. So I am Angel Naivalu, soul mentor. I love that. Angel is a teacher. I'm going to consider her my mentor now uh, because we are got introduced and she's doing this 12-week class that has literally changed my life because there were some layers that I had to get past in order to move to the next step. And you helped me get through a huge layer between myself and my childhood, which I'm so grateful for. And I think I'll go more into that in my podcast later. But I wanted to ask, the first thing is, so if you meet somebody for the first time and they're in a really dark place or in that, they're in that survival mode, what is the first maybe three steps you tell people to do just to start getting more in tune with their soul because this is why I want a new way of getting healthy. I want, I know how to starve myself. I know how to lose weight. Yes. And, but it's never forever because I don't ever heal those things that I want to escape from. And so this is why I think this work is so important. And I'm just so grateful that I met you. Let me let you answer that question. Okay. Okay. 
<laughs> I love it. So when you are in survival mode or um, feeling like you've tried everything, whether it's to lose weight or to raise your self-esteem or to be a better mom or to have a better relationship, whatever the main stress in your life is, the place where you're having a hard time uh, finding peace and joy, the first thing is to learn how to breathe. It is simple, it is free, and it is easy. And because it's simple, free, and easy, we tend to turn our back on it. I did it myself. When people talk about breathing techniques, I was like, wow, you tree hugger friend of mine, just please step <laughs> aside. I'm gonna go, I would rather go and spend two years getting a master's degree and learning all the important things that research says works to have an awesome life than to just listen to you tell me to breathe. So I've been there and I laugh at that former version of myself. But you can think about this for just a minute if you are resistant or hesitant or think that couldn't be possible. From a biblical perspective, have you ever heard the phrase, look to the staff and live? And there were people who would not look to what was being held up in front of them because it was so easy and they did not think that could save them. So they scurry about looking for answers. Hello, we are the same. I laugh and laugh at the more I have awakening experiences that I see myself in these ancient peoples who I thought, how could they be so ignorant? Like, were they less intelligent than we are today? They do these weird things like build a tower and they can climb it and get closer to God or not look at something that is just right in front of their face. And as my ego has come to the surface and I've realized that's egoic thinking, I have been able to recognize that I am the same as these ancient people. So look, how easy is this? I'm putting something up for everyone right now to look at and it's called breathing. The depth to which you breathe is the depth to which you can receive. Wow. So one of my most favorite phrases is that the depth to which you breathe, how deep your inhales are, how intentional you're breathing is the depth to which you can receive information, knowledge, truth. Um, and the breath lives physiologically between your brain and your heart. So it is a gateway or a channel. Most of us hold our breaths. Hopefully this conversation today will bring an awareness to that and you'll start to notice when am I holding my breath? When you're stressed, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're overwhelmed, even when someone gives you a compliment. I mm -hmm. did this, and as I've asked other people to watch themselves, they come back and say, I do it too. I hold my breath when I'm given a compliment. What that means is you are not receiving, integrating that gesture, that love, that compliment. When you are angry, you hold your breath. If your breath is being held, you're disconnecting and stuffing your heart space, your emotions. And you're only deferring to the autopilot of your head. Your head is where fear loves to reside and stress and shame. So that's the easiest thing is to start breathing intentionally and to link it to something. If this is totally new to you and you're like, I breathe every day, <laughs> I'm going to suggest that at every red light when you're driving, you take one deep inhale to where you feel like you're filling your lungs. Breathe in through the nose and exhale through your mouth. That's it. Or right after you brush your teeth and you rinse and spit, just take one deep breath. Just somewhere in your day, start to link a deep breath reminder. Put an alarm on your phone or, or anything like that. And then as you start to notice the difference, like something's shifting here. This is strange. The more you practice intentional breathing, the more aware you become of how often you hold your breath. 
and holding your breath, you're closing yourself off because your mind, once it's connected to your heart, is a portal to your body's awareness, we'll probably talk about later, and your spirit. So you're opening up your whole entire internal compass, your powerful messengers, and you're not getting there if you're holding your breath. So survival people, start breathing intentionally. Second is start practicing short guided meditations. If you're afraid of meditations or think you don't have time or think it's stupid, again, listen to the words, be still and know that I am God. From any discipline, whether you're Christian or whether you are familiar with martial arts, with swimming, with scuba diving, with um, vocal training like Alicia is, with ballet, look at where breathing or breath work is used to strengthen your vocal cords, your focus, your voice, um, your what, just presence, being present. There's so many disciplines. And when I started to look, where in the world do people practice um, mindfulness and breathing? I could see that it was in very elite disciplines. That was fascinating to me. So here I had been resisting it and thinking it was woo-woo, like Eastern philosophy. And as I started to open up my mind and realize, no, the, the very connected and powerful creators who are mastering things in their body, mind, heart, and spirit, practice breathing and stillness. So it was difficult for me who lived in my head and was very busy, always had a to-do list. I woke up every morning feeling like I was going to run a marathon, check boxing, always like, I got to get up earlier. I got to get up. You know, if I just get up at 430, I'm going to conquer this day. And that way of living ran me into survival mode with adrenal fatigue, Hashimoto's, high um, chronically elevated cortisol levels, um, stress and depression. Like I was exhausted and I didn't know how people could just sit and do nothing and meditate. And when I tried it, I couldn't get out of my mind. I thought the laundry's piling up. I've got to run to the grocery store. I have an appointment at three 30. So when I discovered there's this thing called guided meditations and you can search that online, you can go to YouTube and look for guided morning, morning meditations or guided evening meditations. That's where you start is if you can listen to someone else talk for five minutes and just breathe, you will start the process of coming home to yourself and being present. So the, so I've given you breathing, guided meditations, and the third one is to acknowledge your five hard senses. So the third tip is to spend time with your senses. You have been gifted these five hard senses as part of your divine design that cannot be experienced in the past or the future. To hear, see, taste, touch, and smell, it's all in the present. So you can't smell yesterday or hear tomorrow. You can't see yesterday or taste tomorrow. When you're experiencing a, one of the hard senses, you are in the now. And I believe that that is a gift from our creator to pull us into the now. So if you'll stimulate any of your senses or any combination, what, that, what does that mean? I might want to pick up a perfume or an essential oil and smell it to stimulate my sense of smell. I can use the sense of touch to touch a fabric and just like be present with it. As I'm rubbing my shirt, I'm becoming aware of the texture, um, how soft it is, where the seam is. All of that is in the now. It's bringing my mind, my body, my heart, my spirit to right now. So just touch something. Focus on something for sight. Look at a picture or look at a scene. 
um, any of those things. You can carry uh, a stone or a rock in your pocket or a crystal or like anything. Put a Werther's candy in your mouth or a mint and just focus on what am I tasting? What am I feeling? All of those are just simple examples that in any moment you can stimulate your senses. It will bring you into the present. It will pull you from anxiety and panic. You can't panic and be present at the same time. And where I've seen this work is in trained first responders. And um, that's very interesting to me on, on the training they go through to stay present, to stay wow. present. So many of us are looking for a medication or a way to get us out of panic and anxiety and attack. And through breathing or stimulating your senses, within two minutes you can pull yourself from a panic attack. Um, I learned that from one of my mentors, PhD therapist, Jared Dupree. And he practiced at our counseling clinic where I've been working the last few years, practiced with all of the therapists of having us do breathing techniques with him and having us experience that within two minutes you can pull yourself totally out of a panic attack. So any questions about any of those or anything you want to draw out to help me yeah. explain better? Well, I love what you said. I would just have to say that since I joined your class, I've never done so much breathing. And when I performed the other day, that's what I did. I got on stage, I closed my eyes right in front of everyone, mm. took that deep breath. So what Angel teaches us to take that deep breath and picture love, or in my case, it could be confidence. It could be um, inspiration. It could be anything. Just picture that energy coming inside of us while we're holding that. Let it out in our with our mouth. Oh my gosh, you told us to do that with love, and that helps so much. You just picture love coming inside of me. Okay, I'm filling my own self with love. So that was one. Oh, so good. Number two, the meditations. I want to say I love the Sarah Blondin meditations that you sent to us and i will do a link under here Perfect. because she has the most beautiful voice and words mm -hmm. my favorite one is i love you and i'm listening mm -hmm. that one really spoke to me in fact after church the other day i wrote every single word that she mm. wrote in this because it talks about just how we are looking to everyone else to fill this cup of ours that is our own job to fill Mm -hmm. And I love what you said about um, expectations, too, because that's what I'm realizing is when our lives aren't aligned with our expectations, that is where we have that survival mode. Like, mm -hmm. we, can't, we can't sit with that. It's hard Pain to Pain and suffering up here. Pain and yes. suffering up here in that gap between yeah. our expectations yeah. not being met. And we're living in a fallacy. What we're missing when we're focused on that we're in fiction land and we think we know what we want and we're missing what is really true and possible. So what is really true? There's no fear in that space. When you're aligned and connected mm -hmm. to what is really true, you are at peace yes. and you are free. And then when you seek to know what is possible, that's when you connect to glories and abilities and perceptions and gifts beyond what you've ever known. So it's a total distraction that we keep going after our own expectations. We keep trying to make what we think we want. Yes. And that's where the pain, and we don't get there, so we feel like I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. Um, I have to work harder. Nobody around me cooperates. We start to project our frustration and anger, and it becomes resentment. 
Um, and you, you said something, and I, I'm, I'm forgetting what the word was, but something that you just barely said. Oh, we need to fill our own cups. Thank you, God, for reminding me. <laughs> I, I would like to calibrate that a little and have everybody play with these words. What if when we connect to our true self and separate from our ego identities, that's who we think we are and who we become based on all of the external pressures and shoulds and expectations, we've kind of morphed into this robotic um, cookie cutter version of ourselves climbing our own tower of babel so we separate from that and what we're talking about today are these simple steps of coming back into alignment what you discover is your cup is full you came full you were created full you are enough and everything that you're looking for already exists inside of you and so it's literally taking this fake cup or faux cup f-a-u-x this faux cup that your ego that you've been holding because someone said here hold this cup this is what you have to be this is what you should be this is what's righteous this is what's beautiful this is what's desirable all of the things and they handed you a cup and it had these holes in it and the holes in the cup are i'm not enough yet i'm not lovable i'm a failure i'm not worthy so everything you've been doing doing trying to obtain or achieve pouring into this cup to fill this cup is just leaking out the bottom because the cup has holes those holes are your unconscious beliefs that i'm not enough i'm not lovable i'm a failure i'm not worthy all all the humans i run into have trouble with that until they've become aware and patched the holes in their cup and found the truth that they were created worthy, they were created lovable, they're always enough, and they don't have to prove it or earn it. So the lie in the cup that you've been handed is you have to fill this cup and prove to the world and to yourself that you're these things. So throw that cup away. <laughs> That's the right. one I'm like, throw the cup away and shatter that cup. And Here's come back into yourself and you discover, my cup runneth over. You heard those words? Mm -hmm. you're more than enough that's what's true so I just had to say the reason why I chuckled a little bit is because the spirit whispered to me what you were going to tell me that your cup is already full and I was just like I almost stopped you and said I know what you're gonna say and then I didn't and so when you said it I was like it's funny how the truth was whispered to me before yeah. you even said it and I love I love that I love that we are worthy as we are if we could just accept let me tell you this something that i just discovered is my obesity is the one thing that i feel like has kept me searching for answers because i feel like um there's so many people who live in this this life that they they're okay you know they're okay doing things the way they're doing and they don't feel this need to this you know there's those people that just are like I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need to change, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like my obesity has made me not be able to settle in that place. And it's made me have to keep searching for answers because I couldn't accept it. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, mm -hmm. but it's like a gift to me. Mm -hmm. Because if I had never experienced the obesity, I would have already thought I was better than my husband maybe not even stayed with him where he is like an incredible human being. Does that make sense? Totally. And I just barely realized that 
just, yeah. I mean, just at, since your class, it's been, well, eight, nine weeks. And yeah, I'm yeah. just, yeah. it's like mind blown how all of the answers were right here. But you know, it's been fun to watch how fast, like once we cleared some clutter, so some mythical thinking, some fallacies where Alicia had stinking thinking, stinking mm -hmm. thinking, you know, some fallacies and thought distortions. And we stripped those away and just, it's like once we moved that debris, I just watch truth just download into you so mm -hmm. fast and you mm -hmm. recognize it and own it. There's no debate. There's no mm -hmm. wrestle. There's no, let me check Wikipedia and see if this is true. It's just like, boom. And, and that's how easy, that's how easy it is. It's just fascinating. I did not know for 38 years of my life that I could go inward and upward and get truth that fast. So I practiced religiosity for that long, faithfulness, praying, and here's what I discovered is, is when I just shifted a little bit, going inward and upward for answers instead of outward to get upward to God, is that all the time I was going outward trying to reach God in the manners that others told me I needed to, taking questions to God, I was in the spirit of fear. Yes. I was in the spirit of fear. I feared that I wasn't enough. I feared that I was in lack. I would ask God, bless me with this or give me this answer because I thought I didn't have it. So every single prayer in the energy of fear cannot be answered because that creator of ours cannot talk to us in fear. It's not God's language. Fear is not truth, light, and love. So we go and we pounding on this door, this great doorway, you know, of the throne room of God. This is how it felt in my mind that I'm at these great big doors like, I need answers. And it was just like, you can't get into the throne room of God. And so I sit down on the floor, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm not getting answers because I'm not worthy enough. Let me do X, Y, and Z and I'll get worthy. Let me fast. Let me read my scriptures more. Let me lose some weight. Let me go to the temple. Let me make a dinner and take it as a casserole to the neighbor. Whatever the things were to get more worthy, to take this question to God and, and get the blessing or the answer I'm looking for. And still, it wouldn't come. And so then I would defer to, to the second solution I was programmed to believe. I'm resigned to the fact that the answers will come in God's time. Wow. Yes. Wow. You know, all in God's time. Guess what? Guess what my experience has been? Baloney. <laughs> That's, those are excuses. Those two things are fallacies that we mortals have come up with. Because when you ask a question from the spirit of love instead of fear, from the idea that I'm enough, I'm a daughter of this creator, I am, uh, I wanna say entitled, but I think the earthly connotation's not clear for that, so I'm gonna set it aside, but I am worthy, I am worthy to communicate with my creator. So that's the energy that I have to take in as I seek, ask, knock, and receive. I have to be in that energy, then the doors open and answers are instantaneous. Because I'll go in and I'll take, be like, okay, I'm telling myself this or that, or this is the story I'm telling myself. This is the fear or concern I'm having. I'm here for truth and I trust that truth will come through. I'm willing to suspend all that fear and open up to what more is there, what's really true and possible. And instantly answers come instantly. There's nothing for me to do. There's no checklist, you know, no resume that I have to submit. Okay, I've done all these things. Oh, Angel, now you're worthy of an answer. It doesn't even operate that way. 
and I no longer have to wait in God's timing. It, that was all just confusion. So in every moment that I ask with sincere heart, hello, you've heard some words like this before, with real intent, having faith, not fear, faith that the answers will come, they come. And the way that I now can feel it is it resonates in my body, among my mind, body, heart, and spirit, as if I were an instrument and each of those things were keys on an instrument or strings on an instrument. When truth comes in, I get the same sensation here as when I hear harmony in music, harmony sung or played or a chord that's harmonious. I get that same goosebumpy, some people call them truth bumps. I love that mm -hmm. phrase, truth bump yes. feeling of like, okay, my body literally feels strengthened when answers of truth comes. It feels empowered, strengthened. I feel like sitting up or opening up. And the opposite happens. There's dissonance, like that ugly sound, that two keys on a piano that are right next to each other when they're pushed at the same time. And it's, that's dissonance, and it makes you kind of cringe. I feel that in my being when I'm operating from fear, attaching to fear, or believing something that's not true. So... There, I just went off in a whole nother <laughs> tangent, but I wanted you to know that I see in you, I've seen the light come on in your eyes because you are awake and your answers come so fast. And so that was just really fun to witness here in our conversation, you being so tapped into the spirit and knowing that what you had just said was not exactly true. We have to fill our own cup. You made that statement and your internal compass felt the dissonance and then said, angel's about to speak this to you so it, it aligned you aligned yourself with what was true and at the same time the source of truth was speaking the truth to me and we met in that space that ability right there is where epic relationships happen when you and your partner and your spouse can be operating from that same energy you self-align with truth you don't have to convince your spouse or be in their business and tell them what they need to do and tell them what you need from them and all that yada 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 no, we are so in each other's business, trying to force each other to, will you be my best friend? I just need your attention. Won't you love me? Won't you listen to me? All of the garbage that people share with me about their relationships can so easily be eliminated by each one of us clearing our egos and seeking to align with truth, going inward and upward, find out what is true, receive the truth, trust it and then talk about it and we will say things to each other and the, that aren't true and the moment it comes out of our mouth when we're seeking to be aligned we can go wait you know and this is what i do in my relationship is like wait just a minute and no problem that's beautiful but we just say wait just a minute let me try again you know i'll be talking to eric and i'll be like wait a minute that wasn't true let me check back in and find out what is true and i'll always pull back from the projection where I wanted to blame or make it something that he did or didn't do. And I'll come back and I'll find out, oh, I was actually operating from this space. Here's my story. I'm not feeling like I'm a priority in your life. And the truth is I'm not a priority in my life. Spirit just corrected me. So let me thank you for listening to me while I found that and, and loving me through my stories. I want to make myself a priority in my life. Thank you so much. And in those moments here, this beautiful divine masculine male just comes forward and holds me and reassures me that he's there with me. There's nothing to fight about. 
I'm so grateful. I have to I have to mention a couple of things. First of all, my relationship with my husband is one of those things that um, I know is going to transform into amazing uh, an amazing thing. It was me that needed to change in a way. I have been in active addiction my whole marriage. And here I was when he had an issue. He had an addiction. He had an issue. I am just judging him. And you talked about your husband shared a problem, or not a problem, but a, a thing that he does. That is something my husband has struggled with too in the past. It was the first addiction that came up. Um, and I was like, oh, wow. Wow. I have been in active addiction our whole marriage. I've been addicted to food our whole marriage. So anyway, I love that. Um, just being able to see ourselves. You called me out when I talked about, you know, trying to control my husband and his problems. And you called me out and had me look back at myself. And that was, where am I not being honest? Where am I hiding? And that was really huge. I don't know. There's just so much that I'm just so grateful for. <laughs> you know, there's just so much. Okay, so much I want to add to that. I'm, I'm grateful that you brought that up. But look at the two options. When we're in denial or ignorance of our own stuff. You use mm -hmm. the word addiction mm -hmm. when we're, when we're not honest with ourselves and, and all of us are innocent. I believe we don't even know how to be honest with ourselves because mm -hmm. very few people model that transparency. Mm -hmm. They hide their own stuff and they look, go around judging everybody else. But when we're mm -hmm. living that way, then it's terribly irritating to see a partner in addiction. You want to fix them. And the story grows. If I could just fix them, then we could be happy. If I could fix them, if they, if I could just help them quit, if they didn't have this addiction, then we'd be connected. Then we could love each other. Then I would be happy. And the story grows and grows. And we talk to our partner with that energy and the words, and we put the blame on them, reinforcing to them the reason they have their addiction because they feel like they're not enough and they're not worthy. And they're avoiding, escaping, numbing, and distracting themselves from those emotions. And we're coming after them, chasing them down and smearing their face in it. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the way that our culture, oh. It's so, The way yes. that our culture has done this around addictions of any sort, where they have um, put the women, quite often it's this way, not always, but put the women in a self-righteous place mm -hmm. to deny and ignore our own addictions and put them in a shaming, let's shame the men for their addictions mm -hmm. has been the most divisive thing a marriage could, could experience. And so what you've shared is an alternative way to handle this is to get authentic and real by just asking yourself the question, where, am, where and when do I behave in the same way? So whatever the problem is, if it's an addiction you're talking about, or if it's whatever you are judging your partner to have a problem with, ask yourself the question. This is called shadow work, okay? Mm -hmm. Where and when have I ever done this thing and make the thing the principle of it, the principle of it. So it might not, you know, if your husband drinks alcohol and you've never had alcohol in your life, you, you want to look at what is the behavior, where and when have I ever escaped, numbed out, avoided or distracted myself mm -hmm. with the substance mm -hmm. or, or anything else outside of myself, where and when have I done that? And if you'll sit and ask yourself that question, the spirit of truth will give you the answer. Hey, sister, you use food. You use food. 
<laughs> and you're yep. like, okay. And so you start to do the inner work. And as you ask questions like, oh my gosh, the awareness surfaces and you're like, I have been hiding this from myself and other people. I've been acting like it's, you know, a genetic problem or I'm big boned or I don't like, you know, I have a thyroid issue or whatever excuses. Mm -hmm. When the truth is, is I've been running away from my own issues. So you get into relationship with yourself and start to heal. I'm sorry that I've been doing this to you, Angel. I forgive you. Please forgive me for lying to myself. Thank you for what you're teaching me. I love you. That's called the Ho'oponopono process. It's a Hawaiian healing four-step process. I'm sorry. Please forgive me or I forgive you using forgiveness. Um, thank you. The gratitude. Express gratitude for the situation and reinforce I love you. When you do that, you clear all of the judgmental energy and compassion floods in. It just floods in. When you meet compassion that way, you meet Christ. So for the first time in my life, I was about 40, 39 years old when I honestly met Christ and received Christ. After all those years of learning about Jesus, studying Jesus, teaching Jesus to people halfway around the world, mm -hmm. it wasn't until I did my own healing of my denial, my places of hiding, that compassion showed up. And then I noticed instantaneously that I turned my thoughts towards my husband who I had been judging and just feeling so irritated with. And I went back to realizing he and I are one. We are the same. We struggle with the same core beliefs, mm -hmm. the same sense of lack. He's manifesting it or acting out in this regard. I've been acting out in this regard. I have nothing but compassion for him now. Then you go and you talk to your partner from that energy. What do you think would happen to a person who is approached in love, in understanding, in empathy and compassion. Hello, that's when you introduce the love of Jesus to another being and rather than duck and hide, they crawl into your arms. Yes. That's where relationships heal and get so sacred and all the BS that goes on to the other example that we shared Re, is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Mm -hmm. All the effort we put into it, we need to get you help. You need to talk to your bishop. Yeah. You need to stop. It's rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Wow. And that's why I don't operate that way with couples. When you have a problem in your marriage, we're going to start with shadow work and clean up your garbage. First. <laughs> you know? First, yes. I love that. My husband has the most tender heart. Um, and I just feel it. I know it's true. I know that there's some really good things to come for him and I yes. together. I would love it if you would mentor me and teach me all these things that you're doing. Like you have made such an impact in my life. I, I tell you when all those things you just said about marriage, it's like, that's why I said my, my podcast is finding myself through obesity because I thought it was despite is why I was lost but I really did feel like I had all the answers. It kept me more humble in a way to where I didn't think I was better than everyone else. And I didn't think that's who, what I was, but I definitely treated my husband as, as if that was true. Oh, we all do. That's the female yeah. ego, the fire breathing mm -hmm. dragon, the self-righteous mm -hmm. bitch. Can I just yeah. say that word? You can bleep it out later. <laughs> <laughs> that's who we become when we're in our egos. And mm -hmm. it is a lie and a fallacy because it's yeah. keeping us from knowing what is really true. Mm -hmm. And we can't be the loving, divine, feminine goddesses that we really are when we're carrying that self-righteous energy. It's complete no. opposites.
so you're not a healing force you're a destructive force in your ego which is the natural man that's that's the word that's used in the scriptures you can tell by looking at people and how they behave the difference and mm -hmm. i have been on a quest since 2017 to find best friends where god show me where a man and a woman are actually best friends and it is so rare but possible but when i discovered that it's not enough it's not okay to be fine you're in a contractual relationship meaning we have a contract we have agreement so we're just going to plow ahead it's like working in an office together we just both agree to be and do these roles do you know what's really true and possible epic passionate love passionate to where your spouse walks through the door and you magnetically can't wait to get your hands on them and express gratitude in every way physically mentally emotionally and spiritually for yeah. them choosing you that day that's what it can look like and yeah you, I'm, I'm excited for your marriage because in I my know. yeah in my meditations there's some good things going on there so perfect why are there some people that never search for more answers and then there's those people that are kind of forced to search for the answers the people in our church that are just like so straight and they're just got everything together they're living in this conditioned self yeah. right yep and i would say most people are either living in the survival or the conditioned self so it's not really like we think that it's confidence and we think they got it figured out but they don't either that's just kind of if anyone no. appears to be functioning really well, it, there's a possibility, I'm not going to say every time, but there's yeah. a possibility that what they're living from is an ego esteem. Mm -hmm. Ego esteem is not the same as self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Someone can be, have a very high ego esteem and have a low self-esteem at the same time. And ego esteem is, I am confident in the things I do well. I'm confident in achieving and performing and showing up as such and such whether it's yes. my calling or my role or my you know duties or my work i'm confident in that because i'm skilled and that's where i get my worth and value yeah. but i still secretly don't feel like i'm enough right and their I life don't is feel like i haven't yeah. arrived right and that's what's hiding mm -hmm. under people who even appear to have it all together mm -hmm. is and, and you'll see because i've asked entire groups of women at church multiple times raise your hand if you feel that if you died in this moment, you would be in the presence of God face to face because you are worthy to enter the presence of God. I have never had a person raise their hand, even though they're doing the thing. And I remember saying this to an audience with women clear up into their 80s. There was a woman on the back row on oxygen. She's in her eight, late 80s and her hand didn't go up. And I look at her and I'm like, sister, how long have you been living this righteous routine? She's like 85 years. What is it going to take for you to feel like God loves you and would bring you home? What the heck is wrong with our culture? Yes. You know, yes. So those are yes. some awarenesses of we've got to shed that ego esteem and come home to when you say loving yourself, what it really means to me, because sometimes people are uncomfortable with those words mm -hmm. is having a knowledge of your self worth knowing who you are when you look at the life of christ and i've studied this out because people feeling worthless or unworthy is so common 
But what is it that makes Christ perfect? To me, it's that Christ knew his worth over and over again. I am the son of God. That's how he announces himself. I know who I am. So when the temptations came and people tried to catch him in his words to trick him into um, exposing himself as something um, to try to corner him and persecute him, he wouldn't speak because he had nothing to prove. Or it was, it was, know ye not, I'm the son of God. Like, you know, there's two of us here and one of us doesn't know who I am. I love that. I love that. I actually had that thought you know, a couple months back is when everyone says we need to be more Christ-like, we need to serve, serve, serve. We first have to be aligned with ourselves because that same reason. Tell people where they can find you. Honestly, uh, I would love, if anybody has questions or is interested in following me, please just send me a text at 435-429-1465 and I will link you into my free mentoring group on Facebook. I have a private mentoring group where I'm very vulnerable and open about my personal spiritual sacred experiences. And, uh, or I can let you know about upcoming things, like things I'd love to do as women's retreats. And we're going to go do an unplugged uh, camping on the beach, very mindful meditative week. And so things like that, I just create fun things when I feel moved upon. And I would love to invite any of your friends to join me. Thanks so much, Angel. You're the best. So we're going to, I'm going to have to have you be a guest again, because I'm going to have a lot more questions for you Perfect. I love it. <laughs> to learn so much more. But anyway, thank you so much. And I will, we will talk to you on Monday. Perfect. See you. Then. But thanks for being here and taking the time. Uh -huh. Okay. Bye.